Alone with a Rye. People so often ask me about self-care and I regularly talk to them about the importance of talking to someone. And so I think that's why it's so important that this week's episode of On One is brought to you by Talkspace. We live in crazy times, y'all. And there's nothing better than ensuring that you have someone to speak to about all of the things that you may be processing. Talkspace is the online therapy company that believes therapy should be affordable, confidential, and convenient. You can join over 500,000 people who have used Talkspace for online therapy with their licensed therapist. To sign up or to learn more, make sure you go to Talkspace.com backslash Angela. That's Talkspace.com backslash Angela. Talkspace is therapy for how we live today. And you know it's crazy in 2017. Where the state was supposed to take care of us. Look how hot he is. He's not waking up very easy. I am not. This is not about low income. It's not about rich people, poor people. It's about people. Relax, darling. It's gonna be all right. It's gonna be all right. I hate the way they portray us in the media. If you see a black family, it says they're looting. See a white family, it says they're looking for food. And you know, it's been five days because most of the people are black and even for me to complain about I would be a hypocrite because I've tried to turn away from the teacher TV because it's too hard to watch I've even been shopping before even giving a donation so now I'm calling my business manager right now to see what what is the biggest amount I can give and and just to imagine if I was if I was down there, and those are those are my people down there, so anybody out there that wants to do anything that we can help with with the setup, the way America is set up to help the um, uh, the poor, the the black people, the uh, the less well off as slow as possible. I mean, this is Red Cross is doing everything they can. We we already realize a lot of the people that could help are at war right now, fighting another way, and they they they've given them permission to go down and shoot us. And subtle, but in even many ways more profoundly devastating, is the lasting damage to the survivors' will to rebuild and remain in the area. The destruction of the spirit of the people of southern Louisiana and Mississippi may end up being the most tragic loss of all. George Bush doesn't care about black people. Stories of, of mothers trying to save their children from the rushing waters. Can you ex tell us how we that was? For four feet of water to go get them food on the first day. Yeah, that's a lot of shit. But y'all sitting here, y'all trying to interview people during their worst times. Like, that's not the smartest thing to do. Like, people Sorry. are really breaking down, and y'all sitting here with cameras and microphones trying to ask us what the fuck is wrong with us. So I'm so and you're really man. trying to understand with the microphone still in my face, Sorry. with me shivering cold, with my kids wet, and you still putting a microphone Sorry, in man. my face. Face, face, face. 
This moment in blackness is a somber one. On August 29, 2005, Hurricane Katrina made landfall and cost us more than 1,800 lives. Many of us remember the sea of black faces on the rooftops of homes over overtaken with water. We remember experiencing the bitter frustration of George W. Bush's delusion with the helicopter flyover, the damage in New Orleans, and the commendation to then FEMA director Michael Brown. Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. As many jokes that have been told about Kanye's meltdown, it was real. We were desperately trying to get the masses to understand the importance of seeing, of caring for, and rescuing black bodies and poor bodies. Personally, I had just graduated from law school and taken the bar and was just starting my first job out of law school and was quickly baptized by fire because three historically black colleges in New Orleans were impacted by Katrina. Shortly after my first day, I had to go straight to a press conference where we were talking about the work we were going to be doing collectively with civil rights organizations to ensure that people could rebuild after Katrina. It was a moment of activism all too real for me where I realized the importance of my voice, the importance of our collective voices, and ensuring that we stand up for the least of these, for those who can't stand up for themselves, whether it's because of circumstances that they put themselves in or circumstances beyond their control like natural disasters. It's a space where I really found my voice as an advocate and realized that it was a place where politics could work on our behalf or against us. And so here we are today, dealing with the impact of Hurricane Harvey in Texas. And it's not just Melania's stilettos that makes the Trump response seem more than out of touch. It might also be that just a few days before Hurricane Harvey, Donald Trump was loosening standards for the impacts of floods to ensure that infrastructure projects could go forward with less standards. Rushing projects doesn't necessarily mean they're better because it could end up meaning that they're less safe. And we're seeing that right now. Their response isn't just out of touch because of that. It's also because you think about a congressman like Jeb Henserling, who's the chairman of the Financial Services Committee, who is right now using this situation to manipulate hearts and minds about national flood insurance protections and how they should be changing the flood insurance program and making premiums more costly for people who can already hardly afford them. That's what he said he wants to do as soon as the House comes back in session after this August recess. Well, I'm here to tell you, Houston, we see you, we got you, and I will be talking about the hurricane and how we can help more during today's program. But for now, we're not going to let any out-of-touch politician ruin your lives or govern the ways in ways that would put you in worse-off conditions. We see you, and we really, really have your back. We're all my children of the light, born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors. All we know is to fight. Hey everyone, welcome to On One with Angela Rye. This is your favorite segment, Conversate. And today we are joined by a very, very special person, someone who has inspired me very recently uh, with all that's happened in Charlottesville. He is the vice mayor of Charlottesville, uh, the youngest member of the city council, the only black person sitting on the city council. Um, and he's also done so much for our folks. I think so much that we can 
model um, our behaviors after, policy and local communities after. He is Wes Bellamy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. Absolutely. So I have a ton of questions. Yeah, you like, let's uh, get right into yeah, it. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I have a lot to ask you. All right, all right. Um, hopefully a lot we can build on. This segment is designed for us to really have a conversation. Yes, ma'am. Um, so feel free to, you know, ask something back. Yes, ma'am. Or uh, tell me you're not answering it. But we like to be we like to be very open and honest and try to help that help to ensure that we're building um, folks up in the community yes, and uh, overall the nation, you know, hopefully internationally. There, there might go. be some international uh, best practices here. So um, I really wanted to jump into something that I've been battling with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I want to get into your background and stuff, but this is sure. something that's kind of fascinating me. So right now I've kind of feel like there's this battle um, where black people, really any conscious person in this country is struggling with whether you kind of lean all the way into tearing down symbols of racism mm-hmm. um, or focus on like practical policy solutions that will ensure that people who are disenfranchised, right. uh, you know, whatever's been disenfranchising them is out of the way so that they can succeed. Right. Um, and the reason why I'm bringing this up first is because this is really the the tipping point for me being like, this dude West gets it. It felt like... <laughs> you understood that it's not either or it's both. Right. And to me, that challenged me because I've been like, man, forget the statue, forget the flag. Like we got, you know, racist cops who are killing black and brown folks. We've got, Mm -hmm. you know, challenges in our education system. We have so much other stuff to do. Forget the symbols. Mm -hmm. But you said it's both. And I I would love to talk about why and then go into your background and figure out all this other stuff. Sure. So for me, um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say thanks again for having me. Really appreciate it. My friends and family all were telling me, man, you better go and do a show. (laughs) I'm like, yo, all right. Thanks, friends and family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's talking about you. There's too many shout outs to give, so I'm not even going into that. But to answer your question, to be serious, on a serious note, it is both. So as elected officials, I want everyone who's listening, just anyone and everyone from everywhere to understand that elected officials can do multiple things at one time. Like walk our and job, chew gum. Yeah, you can walk and you can chew gum and you can probably shoot a basketball too, like all at the same time. So you can write policy. You can address issues in regards to uh, symbols. You can create equity throughout our public parks, throughout our city budgets uh, or your county budgets, municipality, however your um, locality chooses to do things. And for me, I think that I agree with you. It is bigger than just a symbol, right? So, yes, we do have to address the issues when it comes to criminal justice reform. Mm-hmm. But as a or excuse me, as, in addition to affordable housing, mm-hmm. in addition to job creation and empowerment specifically for our people. But for me, again, I think that you have to be able to show specifically in a place where I live in Charlottesville, Virginia, in which is the same city in which we had the massive resistance in which people said that we will close down the schools opposed to individuals integrating, right? So none of wow. y'all colored kids is going to go to school mm-hmm. with our white kids because if that if y'all want to do that, we're just going to close all public schools and we'll start these private schools and then the white kids can go there and the black kids didn't really have anywhere to go. That's on, that's dealing with the background in our city. In addition to that, you had a place called Vinegar Hill, which was uh, similar to what we saw in Oklahoma, like the Black Wall Street. You had businesses, uh, black-owned businesses, schools, doctor's office, lawyer's offices, grocery this? stores. This was in the 60s. Okay. And they had Urban Renewal came through, literally tore down the entire Vinegar Hill to do urban renewal, moved a lot of the black people into the projects and what they call West Haven, which is still a public housing site that's still in existence, that was built and created in the 60s 
still there today. And they told us that, quote unquote, you know, this is going to be good enough for us. So when I look at that symbol that was put up in the, the Robert E. Lee statue in Charlottesville that was put up in 1924. And it's another statue that people don't even really talk about. Wait, I think that's an important note. It was put up in 1924, 1924. and the Civil War ended in? Yeah, 1865. Exactly. So, so, so don't even try to tell me this is about <laughs> honoring Confederate um, generals or whatnot. This is a clear message. And, and it's also stated in Charlottesville that during the 1920s, that was the peak for black folks in terms of Vinegar Hill and businesses thriving and doing well. So they really wanted to send a very clear message with erecting that statue. Another statue that is often not talked about in Charlottesville is the Stonewall Jackson statue in which there was an African-American community called Meeks Avenue that was literally torn down in order for them to put the statue up. Wow. I'm not talking about like, hey, y'all, y'all got to move. No, they tore the whole avenue down so that they could put the statue of Stonewall Jackson up. So those are two very clear symbols. When I look at it or from my perspective and my vantage point, we have to make a decision. Yes, we have to address these statues, but we have to deal with the psychological impact, the emotional impact. And then from a substantive piece, we have to look at the equity package and see how we can truly put resources to try and level the playing field. Now, Before, no, but I ahead, want you to, ahead, because I think it's important to note, there are a lot of folks who listen to the program that mm-hmm. don't necessarily have uh, a political bent. And yes, so it's important for us to kind of break some of this down. Mm-hmm. So you you threw out the term equity earlier, yes, and ma'am. now you're referencing the equity package. Before you get into the equity yes, package, ma'am. I want you to define for people the difference between oh. equality and equity right. so they understand. Yeah, so mean. we'll put it in layman's terms. Equity and equality are two different things. Equality, in my personal opinion, is just giving everyone the same thing to say that, hey, well, everyone's equal. So you get a water bottle, I get a water bottle. But equity, in my opinion, is providing everyone with what they need in order to be successful to level the playing field. So I may need more than just a water bottle. I may need three water bottles. I may need water bottles plus a a, a loaf of bread. That's equity in my personal opinion. And for far too long, let's just be honest and call a spade a spade. People of color and specifically black folks in this country have not been treated with equitable practices. Some people have fought for equality, but I don't want equality. I want us to have equity and I'm going to fight for equity literally until the day I die. So in the equity package, Oh, I'm sorry. No. You, so you started um, with uh, this equity package. Piece, yes, ma'am. And this, from what I read, is a four million dollar yes, package ma'am. that you put together. And I want you to talk about how you did it. Why? Yeah. <laughs> because I'm hoping there are local and state elected officials or folks mm-hmm. who are running for office who are listening yes, and ma'am. they can literally copy what you did right. and do it in their homes. I think the other part is, though, um, and we can get to this, too, in a little bit. This may be the real driver behind the white supremacy protest. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I think it's important for folks to know that. And I want to say this. I cannot remember his name. I'm so sorry. Shout out to Bilal's manager who told me about Mm. this interview with you and Amy Goodman. Oh, yeah. Yes. And and it was like, oh, my God, because he was like, did you know what else was going on? Mm -hmm. I was like, no. So he gave me all this information and I was just like obsessed. So I had like part of it playing (laughs) On my la- on the Charlottesville mm-hmm. podcast, the podcast before this last one. Anyway, yeah, four million dollar equity package. Break it down for yes, us. Yes, ma'am. Now, Miss Angela got like six questions. I'm no, I'm. So, I'm ex- <laughs> I told you, I'm excited about it. It's Bilal's manager. No, nah, we, we, so we'll go through them. So, um, break but it down answer the equity package. package. So, yeah, four million dollar equity package. What was it? Yeah. yeah. So, in the equity package, um, it has several different components. One, we've been having affordable housing issues in our city for a very long time. I'm 30, um, and I moved to Charlottesville eight years ago. 
I was reading documents that people have been talking about redoing public housing in our city since 1989. Like I was born in 86. Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous to me that we've been talking about it for almost 30 years and there's nothing has moved forward. The needle hasn't moved forward at all. So I decided to say, okay, we're going to put $2.5 million over the next five years. We'll pull it from our CIP, which is the capital improvement plan. That's a part of your city's budget. Every city has a CIP. So we put $2.5 million or reallocated those funds specifically for redevelopment for public housing within our city. So that was a bold step, but it's something that's necessary. Now, that doesn't solve the problem. That's $500,000 over the next five years, which essentially is seed money for you to get started. But you have to start somewhere and then you can use those dollars and those monies to assess whether or not you need to move forward and putting more resources in the future. So that was the first part. Um, I do a lot of work in the community, like uh, people in Charlottesville know I, I like, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. I like hanging out around the way. Like I like being in the hood. That's where I feel most comfortable. That's where when I first moved there, people really showed me the most love. So I'm around the way a lot. Um, and what we all know, oftentimes there's issues with individuals getting job training. There's issues with sometimes some of our folks haven't uh, completed high school. So they need GED training and whatnot. A couple of years ago, I uh, worked on a program with one of our current city councilors about getting funding to do free GED training and free classes in our public housing sites. So two years ago, that was $6,000. So this year I said we need to do $20,000. So that was part of the equity package. So anybody who lives in public housing, you can get free GED training. You can take the test for free. We're going to pay for it and we'll come to you. All right. So there are classes um, on all the public housing sites. Then we got a position, a $100,000 position for um, Black Male Achievement. Black Male Achievement is a national program initiative going on. Um, President Obama actually kind of got it started with my brother's keeper. In many cities, you see will have their own BMA coordinator. In our area, I'm kind of looked at as a guy like I'm the chair of our BMA. I'm president of our 100 black men. So it's like you got a problem with a young man. Let's go find West. Well, West can't do all this work. Like it takes a team of us. And we have people in Charlottesville who are doing it, but we need a full time staff position. So we got a position for that. We also got $950,000 to our African-American Heritage Center, which is the old African-American school. And it was renovated a few years back. Um, it's kind of like a it's not a community center, but it's more like an arts gallery, a meeting place and things of that nature now. And they also hold several other nonprofits within their building. So we wanted to make sure that they know that they were secure. So 950 K for them. Um, also, we created a, a small scholarship for students who live in the area to go to any HBCU in which they attend. Now, I think people got to understand, I live in Charlottesville, Virginia, Central Virginia. While there are uh, three HBCUs in the state of Virginia and you have Howard two hours away in D.C., most kids where I live are not familiar with HBCUs. And as a product of uh, all three of my degrees are from HBCU, South Carolina State, and my master's and my doctorate from Virginia State, I think it's important that we teach our young people about how you can go to those schools and you can go to any school you want to, but also know that these schools were created for you. These schools are going to empower you. And if you need to go, we got a little bit of extra funding for you. And then in addition to that, we also um, allocated more funding for a job creation program called Go Growing Opportunities. So through Growing Opportunities, you have different job training Sector. So you have Go Electric, uh, you have Go Driver, in which people get jobs through the city to be city bus drivers. Um, the Go Electric piece, you become like a um, 
electrician or a plumber or something of that nature through the city. And then we have partners that we contract with. So we want to be able to put funding in that component to ensure that specifically people, brothers and sisters or whomever can still have access to those dollars so that we can get them trained up. And then there were uh, the the traditional African-American park in Charlottesville is called Tonsler Park. Um, I play in the men's basketball league there we got the park renovated the outside courts but inside is actually where I used to have my boxing club and it's a very small venue and it needs to be expanded so we put uh, nearly $250,000 in the capital improvement plan um, to renovate that building and again this is all about sending a clear message to our people and to the community in the world for that matter that again symbols matter Substance matters also, but symbols plus substance equals progression. And with all of that, that's how you get towards equity. That is fantastic. So I wrote down all the pieces. There are seven um, parts that you covered in yes, in this in, in this budget. And one of the things that I think is important that you didn't um, hit on um, from an article, I think I read it in mm-hmm. the root that you went through and you n- went through um, the current budget. Mm-hmm to figure out where there was money that was kind of just left over. Right. It's something that I watched the Congressional Black Caucus members do for years, too, Mm -hmm. and that's how they used to find money for their communities through the earmark process, which has been demonized. Mm -hmm. But that's the only way that most of our our communities would ever get any dollars going to the most distressed among us. Right. Um, The other thing that I think um, is important is the fact that you took the time to learn that process. Yes, ma'am. Um, and I'm not saying that that should be, you know, <laughs> like it's a, that's a given. But right. I think that people think that, you know, when we talk about ways to move the community forward, we're somehow asking for a handout and you're not. Mm-mm. There's a lot of criticism in, from the folks in Charlottesville, particularly the white supremacists who just said, that you were trying to take taxpayer dollars money. Yeah. This is money that was already existing. It's yeah. just reallocated. It's been there for years. I mean, we spend money on trees. We spend money on uh, redeveloping different parks. We spend money on an array of different things. Sure. Why can't we spend money and use those resources to level the playing field? Right. Specifically when we've had these inequities for so long. Right. And I've been using the hashtag New Seville, uh, New Charlottesville. Like it is a new day. This is not your grandfather's or your grandmother's Charlottesville. Like a lot of people there are woke and we woke is I'm not going to say what we are, but but we're woke and we're not going to have the traditional uh, old grandos way of doing things. Nah, we want equity. And if we don't get it, you're going to see three to four hundred people rise up. And if we need to get more, we'll bring more people there. And then we're going to hold our politicians accountable, elected officials, including myself. Right. We're going to hold everybody accountable to make sure that we level the playing field. Why not? And if you don't want to get with that, then bye. Yeah, it's that simple. So when you think about um your trajectory into this space, which I think is is unique, but I th- I'm sure every elected official has their story. Yes, ma'am. Um, you're still you got to stop saying it. I normally say ma'am and sir, but I feel real old, and <laughs> I'm on, only now. seven years older than you. <laughs> Don't West. do that. Don't do, um, I call everybody ma'am and sir. From I do the too. South. Even That's the little kids, do. I do yeah. too. But now, right now, I'm offended because <laughs> you said ma'am and then you said Miss Angela, and I was like, really, dog? All right, my fault. My um, fault. no, it's cool. But the uh, the thing that I really want to hear is how you got involved. Involved in elected politics um, and why you chose that path. Right. Um, I think it's important. And I promised, um, I don't remember what speaking engagement I was at, but I recently told this group, I said, I know federal 
elected officials and federal politics so much better. But I promise y'all, I'm going to do a whole lot better at delving in. Yeah. So this is part of me I'm fulfilling local. the promise. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. I want to hear your story. Um, I think that it'll inspire a lot of folks who are considering running for office or wanting to support folks running for a local and state office. Right. Well, don't get it twisted. Like, I haven't always been the quote unquote super mature or like even I've seen some people try oh, to say. Get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we going to get into all of that. Like, I haven't <laughs> always been like this. I got my brother, one of my best friends, Kwame, up here with me now. We went to college together. Like, Kwame would tell you, like, I, I haven't always been like this. But from a local perspective, um, I moved to Charlottesville when I was 22 years old. And uh, like from Atlanta, went to South Carolina State University. A lot of my family's from South Carolina, so I spent a lot of time there as well. Just growing up, becoming a person, moved to Charlottesville to get a job working for a government agency. Um, and as I was working there, I was spending a lot of time in the community. Charlottesville, the city of Charlottesville is only 19 percent black. And then in the county, the surrounding area is only 10 percent black. So literally from the day I moved there, I was asking a lot of people, like, where are the black folks? Like, where where are ours? Because every black person I saw I would stop them. Um, and I started spending a lot of time in this one particular neighborhood, West Haven, this public housing site, spending a lot of time with the kids, just doing different things, homework, help, um, so on and so forth. Eventually started a boxing club for the kids. I was going to go to law school. I wound up quitting my job so I could go to law school and then wound up being talked into becoming a teacher by our superintendent, as well as um, the former assistant principal at the school where I was at. And uh, I said, well, I can't just leave. I've started this boxing club. I can't just leave the kids. So I defer law school. And during that time, I was saying to the kids, listen, we're going to stick here together. We're going to rock out together. We're going to make the community better. We were we received award an award rather from Charlottesville City Council one night. And um, one of my nine year olds, one of my boxers, his name is DeCorey. He said to me um, after we left the meeting, I took them to McDonald's, which I never let the kids eat fast food. And we went there. And he says, um, Coach West, I want to ask you something. You promise you don't get mad? So I'm like, okay. And he said, why isn't there anybody who looks like us up there? And I said, nah, there is somebody who looks like us. Mr. Jones, uh, Maurice Jones, our city manager. And he said, no, the people who put the X's in the boxes. Ooh-ooh. So it was like, I felt you like I got teach. punched in the face yeah. by a nine-year-old. And we, we had been talking so much about, you know, when you see an issue, you see a problem. Don't talk about it try to do something to change it. So I had, at that time I was only in Charlottesville for three years. I was 24, 25 at the time. I said, Hey, you know, why not me? Right. So let's run. I ran for office the first time in 2013. What, I, what did you run for? I ran for city council. Okay. First time in uh, 2013. Um, and there was a tie at the polls. Um, all the ballots were counted and there was a tie somehow. And then a couple of days later, I was told that uh, four of my Ballots didn't go to me. They actually there was a malfunction at one of the voting precincts. Was Russia messing with elections there Damn, too? You, hey, it was crazy, right? <laughs> the, the 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 votes. There was a malfunction. There was a malfunction at one of the voting precincts. We heard that in two thousand as well, right? Hanging and, chads, anyone? Yeah. <laughs> so the four extra votes went to uh, my colleague, or he's now my colleague. Went to my opponent and uh, he won the election. So I lost. It was all good, though. I, I really wasn't ready mm-hmm. at that time anyway. And it was a blessing in disguise. So after that, we took the next two years because Charlottesville, we have um, elections every two years, but they're four year terms. So they're offsetting. So there were only two seats the first time I ran. There were three seats available the second time I ran in 2015. And then I came back 2015. We were stronger than ever Had a strong team had grown up a little bit, learned a lot more about the community. And I got the most votes. I was the highest vote getter. And at the time, that was the most votes that anybody had had in the primary. So it all worked out while being on council. um, 
uh, I became vice mayor as soon as I was elected. We appoint our own mayor and vice mayor. And while I was on council, uh, the first few, the first few months, you know, again, just trying to learn also see how I can stay true to myself, being like a community person and, and still wanting to play in the basketball league, still wanting to try to talk and go hang out with the kids. It was a bit much still teaching, still working on my doctorate. Like it was, it was a bit much and I had to make a choice whether or not I want to play the quote unquote game and, and look for reelection at all times, or am I going to try to be true to myself and promise or fulfill the promises that I made to the people? And that's kind of what I chose to do. Some people say going after the statue was career suicide. Like, why would you want to go after this issue? It's been here, yada, yada, yada. You'll never get reelected again. And for me, I just thought that it's more important to stay true to yourself and stay true to the people who you promised that you were going to do these things than trying to worry about another election. And it always worked out. That's excellent. So um, one of the things that you just mentioned is you talked about you had some growing up to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of the things, as soon as I like tweeted anything about you, I got yeah. all your trolls. Oh, and yeah. I don't need any extra trolls. <laughs> I have plenty. So you got double. Yeah. Right, double for right. my trouble or maybe triple. I don't know. You had a lot. <laughs> right, right. So one of the things that continued to come up and I like to just deal with this stuff head on yeah. because like normally I will troll somebody back. I'm not afraid to call somebody a hoe on Twitter. I did it to <laughs> Stacey Dash yesterday. Girl, I meant it. Um, she called, She came for Congresswoman Waters. I don't do that. Yo, no. Angela is the realest. I, listen, I don't play about, you can't mess with my mentor. Auntie now. Maxine. Uh-uh. Especially, right. she said buffoon. Like, girl, oh, I got what? your buffoon. It's you. It's exactly. Yeah, That's what I said. Coolest. I said, how are you still stuck in the movie that you was in years yeah. ago? Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Right. <laughs> so, um, back on message. So, mm-hmm. with the, the trolls, a lot of them reference, they said that you're racist. They call me racist, too. Apparently, if you address race issues, yeah. you're racist or mm-hmm. a race baiter or a race hustler or whatever. Off the rip. But you did say some crazy stuff on Twitter. Oh, a lot. Yeah. And yeah. I have said crazy things, too, but I have not said the kinds yeah. of stuff you said. Yeah. So it wasn't I was, as wild as me. right? So I went, well, I don't know. I just, I'm not right. not uh, racially that right. wild, contrary to what white people say on Twitter. So I just want to know what happened. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. It's well <laughs> documented, you are now. right? It is. And it's, it's so ironic. I got my, my, my one of my best friends in here, like I was saying, and like um, just a lot of growing up to do the things I used to say on Twitter, we literally would say like the wildest things that you can think of. Just young, dumb, immature. Well, let's do it men. this way because yeah. you're doing it the nice way. Do you hate white people, Wes? Nah, I think that's pretty clear at this point. <laughs> you gotta be like, I have white friends. Nah, I'm not. I'm you not gonna do, do the whole. Wait, I'm not gonna you, do did that. Did you see Donald Trump's uh, the the lawyer? He nah. was like, I'm not racist, and he literally posted every picture with a black person he took in 2016, 2017. He's tripping. He had a uh, diamond and silk, who I call rhinestone and polyester, who oh. was paid by <laughs> Donald Trump. He had um, no morosa. He had no morosa. Uh, yeah, no, no, no morosa. Rosa. And he had um he had the CNN makeup room people and one of the producers that does the show. So I saw them. I was like, that's the make what those yeah. ain't your friends, that's the makeup room and yeah. CNN. So you don't you're not gonna put out any nah, pictures of like I, random I don't have white to people. Do that. Okay. Nah, I don't okay. have to do that. Like, and there's white people that can will tweet back and say Wes is my friend was, here. This is a That's why I have to say nothing. Like most of the white people have <laughs> been the ones coming like, nah, I rock with them all the day. My students I mean, you know. So your again, first campaign ad next election, you gonna have like all white people? Nah, nah, no, nah, nah. Okay. We not doing that. We gonna stay true to who we've been being a, a combination of a lot of different people. But you know, in all seriousness, yeah. a reason why like the the issue of the the white supremacist attack coming to Charlottesville was so personal. It's like 
while I didn't physically grow up like as a baby to to the age I am now in Charlottesville, I grew up as a man in Charlottesville. Why? How did you get to Charlottesville? It, well, God. God. Okay, like, I, I was, believe in Jesus too, yeah. but what specifically happened that God? So there was what did a, God there do? was a there was I was at a, a college fair, and I wonder I don't think Kwame was with me, but we we were at a college uh, job fair my junior year in at South Carolina State, and there was this old head who came through, and he was like, "Yo, I like you." I'm going to get you a job where I live in Virginia. Now, we're in South Carolina. I'm like, yeah, all right. I bet you will. I'm not moving in Virginia. I'm like, mm-hmm. you tripping. So um, he was like, I got to go on a deployment. But when I come back, we're going to reach out to you. So I'm like, yeah, people say that all the time. But lo and behold, like a year and a half later, I got an email. It's a long A deployment. long time. Yeah. Yo, he came back. I got a random email from this like top secret place. Look, we've been reviewing your profile. We want to uh, have you come up to Charlottesville to interview. And it was during midterms time of my last semester. And I'm like, I'm not coming like to Virginia. Like, y'all are tripping. I'm not coming up there to interview. We'll do a phone interview. I was being very rude, like just, you know, as the tweet, just arrogant, rude, all of that. And um, they were like, all right, we'll do a phone interview. I did a phone interview. We did well. And they were like, okay, we want to offer you a position. I had about five or six other job offers back in Atlanta, um, had some in South Carolina. My daughter was about to be born. She's in Charlotte. So I was thinking, okay, I need to stay close down south. Ironically enough, all of my other job offers fell through. Wow. Everything fell through. And I was praying about it. And it was just like saying, hey, you, you're going to have to go to Charlottesville and my grandmother was telling me like you're gonna move up north you don't know anybody north yeah. that's some real yo, country stuff when Virginia is north yo she's from rural my family is from Little River Atlantic Beach South Carolina you know I what know I mean like is. yeah you don't even know where it is like it's it's it, they're rural as hell it's all right next to Myrtle Beach and I got a lot of family okay. like all in that area so yeah to them Virginia is up north but my grandmother told me um, and she's passed away now, but I remember she telling me that day, like, you've always been really brave. So I know if you have to go to Virginia, it's for a reason. So go and do what God tells you to do. So after hearing that, I was like, oh, all right, what did we lit? My cousins packed me up uh-huh. and um, one, I drove the U-Haul. My cousin drove his car. My other cousin drove my car. They dropped me off and it was like, yo, you sure you like, you don't know nobody. <laughs> you good? You good? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, if it needs to be the homies to come out and, um, you know, we were good. And, and there we are. But going back to the point, can I can I finish just one point? Yeah, really yeah. Quick? Like Charlottesville again is, yo. Like I don't know if I can articulate how serious I am about how deeply offended that those individuals chose our city because this city literally raised me, man. Like changed my whole lifestyle and ways of thinking. I learned about LGBTQ rights. I learned that like white people who look nothing like you have very different ideologies from you who probably don't do any of the same things that you do culturally will ride for you. Like they will have your back. There's a lot of people from different cultures. Some, some of them, some white people and some black people. Yes. Some white people. Stacey Dash does not have our back. You're right. Well, okay. you definitely right to make Just that saying. disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> we going to get you and Stacey in the boxing ring. No, we not boxing. I ain't got time for that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, like, yo, Charlottesville really, taught me a lot about how to be a man like I got married in Charlottesville I have three daughters now like this is where I grew up as a man so when people talk about those tweets or they talk about you know the person I used to be I don't hide from it because I'm actually proud to see the evolution that I've made and that's all due to Charlottesville not all of it but a lot of it is due to that city 
So when these cats and these clowns want to come in here and they try to act as if our city is like they can just do this hostile takeover. Look, by no shape, form or fashion or by any means is Charlottesville perfect. We have racial inequities that we're dealing with, affordable housing. We got a lot of history that we have to work to correct. But it's still a place that I love because it it, it really raised me. So, yeah, like I'm I'm not going to say I'm proud of the tweets. But I'm proud of the city that helped me grow into the man I am today. And I'll never tell any young person to be ashamed of their past because who's to say that you can't grow to be even bigger and better than Dr. West Bellamy. Right. Like I want you to be. And your past doesn't define you. Your, Your future defines you, the decisions you make. And this city helped me out. So. Like, yeah, I talk about the tweets all day and I love Charlottesville, man. And I'm not going to allow any more of these clowns to come here and think that they can just take over or dictate what we do. I know a lot of it is personal. They, I mean, I've been called every kind of N-word, as I'm sure you you probably yeah. received the same thing, all kinds of death threats and everything else. But these dudes don't scare anybody. They don't deter us from doing the work. We got work to do. And if we weren't doing the work the right way, they wouldn't be so upset and they wouldn't be so scared. So let's keep doing the work. I hear you. I love it. And um, I'm glad that you're open to talk about it because I think that's the only way you can really move yeah. past something and just be like, let me tell you, it's nonsense. Yeah. So earlier in the program, you all know we talked about the importance of self-care. It's a question that I'm regularly asked about. So I really want you to remember that today's episode is brought to you by Talkspace. Therapy can be a little intimidating, but imagine if you had an app for that, too. You don't have to hunt for the right therapist. They match you with someone that's good and ensures that you can regularly reach them via text. This is a great way to ensure that you have therapy at your fingertips. Luckily, we're happy to let you know that there's ways for you to get therapy from the comfort of your own space and on your own time. It's time to try Talkspace. It's an online therapy company that makes it easy to connect with a licensed and experienced therapist handpicked just for you for as little as $32 a week. And you know you spent more than that on food. So you can talk with your therapist whenever and wherever you are on the web or over the phone without scheduling, traveling, or worrying about your privacy. And Talkspace is 100% confidential. You can remain completely anonymous if you want. Join the over 500,000 users who have experienced the relief of being able to talk to a therapist at their discretion and on their own time. Get matched with the perfect therapist for you right now by going to Talkspace.com backslash Angela. And for all of you listening to On One, which you're obviously doing if you're here in this spot, you can use coupon code Angela on the Talkspace app to get $30 off your first month and show your support for yours truly, the On One podcast with Angela Rye. That's code Angela for the Talkspace app or just go to Talkspace.com backslash Angela. Talkspace is therapy for how we live today. One of the things that I thought Republicans did really well, and mm. I didn't learn about it until um, Trayvon Martin was shot and killed. It was the American Legislative Exchange Council, mm-hmm. also known as ALEC, Alec um, yeah. for those listeners that may not know what it is. And it's it was a basically a platform and an organization ensure mm-hmm. that legislators all over the country, state, uh, I think just state-based legislators, um, could receive boilerplate uh, or template legislation on various topics from stand your ground to voter ID right. laws um, so I think some more uh, energy, um, protecting energy companies, there was stuff on net neutrality. Mm-hmm. They received all these opportunities to do this type of legislative exchange. Businesses bought into the to the um, to the membership and 
I was like, where's our Alec? Mm. And um, I haven't been wrestled with that for some time. But when I read about what you were doing with the equity package, I was mm. like, this would be so dope to, you know, build an Alec like model around that. And I wondered if anyone has approached you. Yes about doing something similar. Yeah, so there's several conversations going on. I'm going to be at um, the Congressional Black Caucus in September. we uh be speaking That's a couple of That's the Foundation's panels. Annual Legislative Conference. There you for go. For those of you who may not know what that is. There you go. It's in D.C. in um, September 20th through the... 20th, 24th. 24th, yeah. Thank you. So I'll be there. We'll be talking about there. There's a couple of groups that um, I've been working with to address this. Um, YAO Black, the Young Elected yep. Officials Black Caucus. We've been talking about it. Local Progress, um, which is a, a organization that we've also been talking about this through. Um, I chair a program, excuse me, co-chair a organization in Charlottesville called Virginia Black Politicals. So it's basically millennials in Virginia all getting together. So we're mobilizing and organizing through that way and then hoping to continue to spread. So there's several fronts. I know I got to give a shout out to the collective, um, the collective pack. They've Absolutely. been doing some great work. Stephen Quentin. Shut up. Well, shout out to you. Q. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much love to them and Simone and everybody else who's been working with that. I love my big sister, Simone. Like, yo, it's amazing. She, Simone is Simone is that deal. But yeah, so there's a lot of talk around it. I think that, you know, what one of the things that we have to to understand is that Yo, unfortunately, we're a couple steps behind, right? And there's been forces. More than a couple. You're right. I, I didn't yeah. want to say that. Damn, you keep it real. You, no, it's just, just I just think real. we have to. Because yeah. if we're not that honest, we're yeah. going to stay behind. Like, we right. are light years yeah. behind, right? You're right. Especially right. now, thanks right. to Orangey in the White House. 45, but, you know, he is who he is. We ain't talking about him today. Yeah, I know. But, like, but we're getting there, right? There are groups of millennials, just individuals like yourself with large platforms. There's different individuals who are working on the ground and we're starting to mobilize and move forward as a unit. And I see that. So I want people to be encouraged. Like we are getting yeah. there because I see the work every single day. I would also encourage like the folks who are talking about like running for office. Um, I know you do a lot with the federal level and the state level. I'm a huge proponent for people running on the local level. That's great. Because I think that you can really see a large impact in the fruits of your labor on the local level. Like you can have immediate impact on that level. I know sometimes like the right, they try to use different things to stop us and deter us from running. For example, your old tweets. I've been seeing so many people tweet me like, dang, Wes, I'm glad you bounced back. But man, they, if they look at my old Twitter, man, I know I'm I won't listen. be elected. Nah, but that's not true. Right. Because you're a human being. So we we can't allow our past. We can't allow. Well, maybe I'm not smart enough or I don't know about all this or that. Like we can educate ourselves. Listen, I'm not in, I'm not super Negro. I'm no one like any different from anybody else. I try to read and research just like you can. And I wanted to see a change just like a lot of people want to see a change. So let's do it. I'm really big on not asking people to give us the crumbs off the plate. Nah. And I would say something else when I'm talking to my homies, but forget that. Right. Like I want to be able to set the menu. I want to decide who's going to set the table and I want to eat the biggest piece of chicken and or steak. And I want the dessert. He said chicken. I did say chicken first. I like chicken. My homies know that. Chicken. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Chicken all day. Just yeah. is what it is. Fight me. I like chicken. You said, you said <laughs> not smart enough. And I really hope that that myth is debunked now. I know mm -hmm. we're not talking about him today, but you, if you ever thought you weren't smart oh, enough, right. just look at Orangey. Right. He's not smart at all. He can't even type correct in 140 <laughs> characters. But let's move back to something more positive. Yes, I wanted to ask you 
um, about your heroes. Yes, ma'am. Um, like name some, and then like some of your favorite books. Uh, <laughs> My homie's laughing. Why? You I have you non- I have non-traditional heroes. Brace That's yourself. Good. Okay. That's good. Your heroes. Okay. Your books. Your friend circle. Besides Kwame, Kwame is a ghost member, a ghost interviewee of this podcast because he don't have no mic, but he in here and he been shouted out four times. That's, but, that's my But he guy. is really here. He's not yeah, the Invisible yeah. Man. Shout yeah. out Ralph Ellison, my favorite book. Now, there I digress. You There's yours. What's All right. going on? So, uh, I draw inspiration from a lot of different people. Um, everybody who really knows me knows how much I love Jeezy. So, like, Jeezy. Jeezy. Not Jesus. Nah. Well, folks. Jesus too. But I'm yeah. just saying, he said Jeezy. <laughs> yeah, Snowman. Church ladies, that was not Jesus. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, Snow probably is one <laughs> of the white most. White supremacists about to be back in your Oh, they on me. Yeah, that's all good. <laughs> Yo, he, he's probably been one of the most inspirational and motivational figures for me. Like, just everything that he talks about. Like, I have very fond mem- memories of that I can relate to. You know what I mean? Just from the motivation of when I hear the word trap or die, he's not always talking about selling drugs. He's talking about do whatever you have to do. Now, were you listening to Jeezy when you was tweeting? I was. So, okay, you know, so. the, the whole thing is. <laughs> but I but I will say, yo, if, if it wasn't for Snow, I don't know if I would have had the grit to be able to say, like, you can bounce back. Like, you all right. You took a loss. Hey. You keep coming back. I, I, I listen to a lot of Meek. I got a lot of love for Meek. Um, Nino Brown. Before he, quote unquote, snitched at the end or as he told him the whole community. But here's here's why Nino Brown was a was a a person who I always thought growing up was really was really cool. Because Nino, even for all the bad he was doing, the turkey giveaways and my friends know, like I do turkey giveaways every year. I do back to school bashes and book drives, probably give away like two thousand book bags every year. That's amazing. Two to three hundred turkey drives. We've been doing this now for five, six years. That's every year in multiple states. I always do that. Like I saw those things from them like, yo, you got to take care of your community. And I've always believed that you can draw the good out of someone else like uh, Mary and Barry. Some people see Mary and Barry and they like, oh, man, he was he was uh, using drugs and this and that. Nah, Mary and Barry made sure every kid who lived in D.C. had a summer job. How real is that? Right. Like Mary and Barry was an individual who knew Washington, D.C. frontwards and backwards. He was incredible, an incredibly crafted politician and skilled individual to get resources for his community. I would also say probably the the most influential or one of the most influential people to me from a book perspective is Booker T. Washington. Um, his book Up That's From Slavery, BT Dub. Yeah. When I read his book Up From Slavery, he talked about how he walked how he walked to Hampton University, mm-hmm. how when he was walking to, or excuse me, Hampton Institute at the time, when he was walking and he stopped in Richmond because he ran out of food and he had to sleep under a bridge. But yo, he said, nah, I'm going to get to school. So I'm going to be a fisherman. I'm going to clean up trash. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to be able to get there. How when he was a child, he said, yo, I want to learn to read, but my family's telling me I got to go make money. So I got to go work in the coal mine. So he went and set all the clocks back in the coal mine so that he could still get to school on time. Like, yo, how real is that that shows shows you like we are some of the most resilient people on the planet and his mentality was like literally by any means i'm gonna do whatever i have to do of course brother malcolm is a a hero of mine and his evolution as a man i think we often hear about malcolm little and then who he was when he was malcolm x but when brother malcolm after he came back from his pilgrimage Mm -hmm. and like how he realized i can work with a lot of different people that was huge for me when i was growing up and maturing that yo if Brother Malcolm can say you can work with a lot of people, then why can't you? Right? So that Let's was where your women heroes at, though. 
I, you let me get to him. Oh, man. okay. I didn't know that Bell, you was gonna have twenty. Yeah, I got a few. <laughs> you got to pull. Yo, I deal with a lot of crazy people. Bell hooks. That's, learning that's about dope. feminism. Yeah. You know what I mean? Learning about treating people as human beings, all women. I think that's huge, specifically for our young men. And like, we don't have those conversations enough. Like, this is your sister. This is your queen. You treat her as such. And Bell Hooks taught me a lot about my chauvinist ways, right? Like, mm. it was extremely chauvinistic. And I still have a lot of, of room for improvement. Um, Oprah, of course. You know what I mean? Auntie O. I'm a huge fan of Miss Ava. Uh, oh, yo, yeah. man. Both of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. though, I mean, it, it's so many people who I draw inspiration from, and I can't name them all, but I will say, you yeah. know, the number one, I've named a lot of different people um, outside of my mother, who I love dearly, my aunt, my aunt Delaphine, who basically saved my life, right? Like, my grandmother would always say I was the worst child she ever met in her Ooh. life. She always says that. That's like a running joke on both sides of my family. They all say I was the worst kid ever. <laughs> Which I I was. And my aunt, man, she was, I was in Atlanta growing up and it was just me and my mom. And then my mom got remarried, had my little brother, but my family was all on Atlantic Beach. And my aunt and her two daughters, Stephanie and Tiffany, like, yo, they saved me. And when I say like, taught me about the importance of being a black man, the importance of respecting people, but also telling me I was special, like, yo, it's, it's nothing like them, man. And my aunt knows and my cousins know that I will I will go to bat for them anytime. And I've had some some other family members, my cousin Fido, who was shot and killed uh, in, in front of me. His older brother, Leon, kind of then stepped in and became like my guardian angel while I was in college and told me, you're not going to fail. You're going to be good no matter what. Big shot. Kwame's over there making making jokes. But Big shout out to Kwame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another shout out to K-Dot. Um, but yeah, I got so many people. I didn't get here by myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Got, man, pastors, uncles, family. Uh, I'm truly a child of the community. And that's, that's what, that's, you know. That's, I yeah. think, a, a great point, too. We often talk about um, it takes a village to raise a child. And I've remixed that to say it takes a village to sustain an adult. Mm. And mm. I love that you, you know, have, have cited so many folks in your in your space that have made, I think, activism through politics a little less isolating for you. Because it can be a lonely space. <sighs> lonely is an understatement, mm-hmm. man. Like you were talking about it earlier. I'm the only African-American on my city council. The neighboring county where I am, they haven't had an African-American since the year 2003. And then in Charlottesville, I'm only the seventh one ever. So, like, wow. it's, it's sometimes it can be tough because you're like, yo, like... You know what's good, but I got a lot of friends in politics. I got a, a good friend who's a city councilwoman in Martinsville, Virginia, Jennifer Bowles. Um, friends like Tracy DeShazar. She works for Governor McAuliffe. Uh, my friend Shamika Bowen. Like I got a lot of friends who keep me lifted, yeah. you know, and it's like you said, it's we're a community and it's a lot of us. And now with social media, we can be connected with That's text true. messaging. Yeah. We can be connected. You know, I see women like. Stephanie Morales out in uh, Portsmouth, Virginia, the only uh, African-American female to to prosecute and convict uh, police officers who shot black kid or who shot a, a black male in Portsmouth, Virginia. Like, yo, she's a shero. Mm. When I see, you know, man, it, it, it's so many people, man. I can go on and on. Tashara Jones out in St. Louis. Yeah, Tashara, I love her. She's my shero. Yeah. But I'm sorry. I wish that she would have won the election, but we don't. Yo, can I talk on that for a second? No. No, no I'm okay, not. But let me, let me, yo. Yes. For real, for real. This is, I know you, you got on me about talking to the brothers and not talking to the sisters. I want to say this to the brothers. Hey, yo, if you see a sister... Or you see anybody, for that matter, 
who clearly has the opportunity to put us in a better position of power, a, a better position of influence to move our people forward. Get your black ass out the way. That's real. Move your ego. Because Tashara should have been the She's mayor of St. Louis. Extremely qualified. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to call a spade a spade. Yo, the brothers messed it up. Yeah. If they would have got That's out of true. the race, then she would have won. So brothers out there, don't let your chauvinistic ways of thinking that because you the man and what you read in a book told you that the man should be the head and not the tail. Don't let that get in the way of us progressing as a people. Now, none of us in that office. How about that? That's crazy. Okay, so Wes, no, you're okay. So um, my last question for you Mm -hmm. is when you look at everything that's happened, Mm -hmm. um, your career trajectory, what do you think is next? Or what do you say is next? Well, those are conversations I have to have with my wife. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and that's that's my backbone. She holds it down. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think it's important for me to not get ahead of myself. I'm not looking at state office. Uh, congressional governor, none of that. I'm looking at Charlottesville. Yo, we got enough work to do in Charlottesville for me to be there for another 30, 40, 50 years, right? Like, we have work to do. So that's the only place I'm focused on right now. Um, working on, working with the kids. Like, I'm a teacher, I'm an educator. Eventually, I want to have my own school. You know, I got this doctorate now. Like, let's figure out how we can change these policies on an educational perspective, also on a political perspective. And that's my focus. It's just Seville, nowhere else. Well, thank you so much for coming. I want to um, just send this shout out to Democrats really quick to let you know that every time you tell us that you can't find a qualified black or brown candidate, we just brought you one. I'm going to bring you several other through <laughs> this podcast. Go. Anytime you tell me you can't find a qualified black vendor, I'm going to bring you one of those, too. Boom. Um, but seriously, I think that it's going to be real hard for us to continue to stare white supremacy in the face if we can't look at it and deal with it in the Democratic Party as Ooh, well. Too real. On that note, the conversation <laughs> segment is real. over. <laughs> we will holla at y'all next time. Thank you so much, Wes, for being here. Thanks for having Work me. Work woke. I'm a child in a struggle. New leader of the revolution. All my people is reformed. Pimps and prostitution. In the suburbs, I got them kids wilding. And shit, I turn the inmates against the asylum. Put me in the hood, so I started an army. Put me on the charts, I get the world behind me. Light skins, dark skins, I love every shade. Black is beautiful, baby. Today's political lowlife goes to Jeff Sessions and the Trump administration. Ferguson was just three years ago this month. And Charlottesville? Yeah, that was two weeks ago. But guess what? Your president is in the business of undoing any and all parts of President Obama's legacy, even if it's good for uniting the country. Listen to this. President Trump this day is issuing an executive order that will make it easier to protect yourselves and your communities. And it's a top priority of Chuck and your leaders. He is rescinding restrictions from the prior administration that limited your agency's ability to get equipment through federal programs, including life-saving gear. Life-saving gear to make your lives safer, like Kevlar vests and helmets, first responder and rescue equipment like they're using in Texas right now. 
Some of these programs, like our popular Department of Defense 1033 program that Congress passed into law more than 25 years ago, uh, have provided and recycled more than $5.4 billion in used gear and equipment that taxpayers had already purchased and made it available to your agencies to repurpose it in the fight against terrorism, crime, and for disaster relief. So that was Jeff Sessions at uh, on Monday at the Fraternal Order of Police's National Convention in Nashville, Tennessee. He just announced Monday, as you heard, that Donald Trump signed an executive order reinstating a program that provided surplus military equipment to local police departments. And for what? He talked about being prepared for natural disasters, being able to fight against terrorism and other reasons. But those other reasons, y'all, looked like Ferguson. That is the scene, that is the image that we see in our hands or in our minds where over-militarized police are on the opposite side of protesters. It looks off balance. It looks crazy. It's woefully intimidating and it's absolutely unnecessary. You think the the militarization of police departments, that military equipment, armed police and, and uniformed police are going to somehow create a bridge between police departments and communities? Yeah, I think not. Since December, the agency overseeing the Pentagon's program recalled at least 100 grenade launchers, more than 1,600 bayonets, and 126 track vehicles. What in the hell, yes, I clapped, does a local law enforcement agency need with any of that equipment? A Trump administration document discussing this rollback stated the executive order sends the message that we care more about public safety than about how a piece of equipment looks, especially when that equipment has been shown to reduce crime, reduce complaints against and assaults on police and makes officers more effective. I think the challenge here is it does a little bit more, much more than that. If they continue to talk about being about law and order, we know exactly what that means. And that's a dog whistle. It's a direct threat to people of color and to communities that have traditionally not been served well by police officers. We see you, Trump administration. We see you, Jeff Sessions, pandering to the FOP. We know exactly what that means. If you all have time, listen to the rest of his speech. But we know exactly what you're doing. We're all the way woke and we're absolutely resisting. This week's political highlight is also tied to um, Hurricane Harvey. And it goes to Harris Commissioner Rodney Ellis, who is also a former state senator in Texas, um, who sent out a comprehensive email about ways in which we can all support Houston residents impacted by Hurricane Harvey. So we ain't out here looking like Joel Olstein. Okay, the email that he sent out um, links to CharityNavigator.org, which rates the quality of local and national nonprofits doing work on the ground in Houston. But I'm emphasizing local um, shout out to Simone Sanders and Tamika Mallory, who have also emphasized the importance of donating to local organizations who have the capacity to ensure that more of the resources are getting into the hands of the residents rather to massive rather than to massive overhead, um, which tends to be the issue with some national 
level organizations, including those that are quasi-government funded, like the American Red Cross. Um, Additionally, the email points to volunteerhou.org. Again, that's volunteerhou.org to help folks sign up to um, participate in volunteerism efforts on the ground in Houston in case you're nearby or have the ability to get to Houston quickly. I definitely encourage you to look up that website. Again, that's volunteerhou.org. And also, um, Commissioner Ellis um, points to supplies that are most needed. Um, I want to get together with some of my friends to pull together some of these care packages Um, and hopefully send them to um, both members of Congress representing the Houston area and also local elected officials on the ground there. The items um, include, and I would love for On One listeners to engage um, in this challenge of donating supplies. The supplies include new clothing. They talk about T-shirts, sweatpants, underwear. Remember, the underwear should not be recycled, y'all. You got to send new underwear. Um, Bedding, which includes sheets, blankets, and pillows, None of that stuff should be recycled either. Um, Non-perishable food, those would be canned goods or box goods are even healthier um, to the extent that that's affordable um, as long as they're not perishable, right? That's the most important thing. He talks about personal hygiene items. Think about feminine products. uh, Think about toilet paper, um, wipes um, for babies, other things like that. Also think about baby supplies, Uh, specifically, I just brought up wipes, but also diapers, unopened formula, bottles, uh, toys, even these children need to be kept occupied. And many of them have lost just toys, Um, pet supplies, food carriers or crates for dogs and cats, uh, maybe some rabbits. You never know. Leashes, um, bowls, etc., and then finally towels. Um, I would say bath towels, hand towels, washcloths. I would love for all of us um, on one listeners, on one supporters. I would love for you all to lean in and to provide that kind of material support. Um, folks have been asking me uh, as we got ready for the Ask Angela segment, what can they do? I think this is something very tangible that we can all do. So let's work together to get this done for uh, these folks as they talk about the storm uh, getting ready to make a second landfall. We're all my children of the light, born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors. All we know is to fight, pray, they see God and everything I write. Yeah. Now it's time for the Ask Angela segment where you all have submitted your questions to me. Some of them squarely political, some of them cultural. Um, Some of them personal, and um, we've randomly selected these today, and I am excited to answer today's questions. Um, The first question is, uh, and I think this is a good one, someone asked, do you see anything positive happening with this current administration? And my answer to you is directly no, uh, and indirectly yes. This question is from Harper Diamond Greer. Indirectly, um, I can't tell you how proud of I am of community leaders, community organizers, activists, advocates, students, educators, uh, professionals who have joined together, um, engaged in resistance movements. And I've talked about this often. Resistance is not just 
protesting and turning your back to and or ignoring what is happening before us, but rather it's about strategically engaging, educating yourself about what's happening and as a result issuing and or informing people of a counter proposal that makes more sense and is more worth their while. And so to that end, I am most proud of the strategic resistance that I've seen folks engage in. Um, it makes me really, really happy. I also uh, want to answer this. Uh, somebody said, who do you see coming out of the Democratic Party as a possible challenger in 2020? Um, there's been a lot of talk about Kamala Harris. There's been a lot of talk about Cory Booker. There's been a lot of talk about uh, Vice President Joe Biden. Um, right now, what I think is going to happen for 2020 is it's probably going to be a lot of people who run. There's no immediate person that folks think you know, is uh, worthy or supposed to have it next. And so I think because of that, that leaves the field wide open, which is good because maybe that means that people engage in, an, in a greater level or on a greater level. There's another question here um, that I also really appreciated is, uh, is this is from ecove three. I don't know what your real name is. This is your Instagram name is either political ideology, conservative or liberal, really safe for people but especially black or brown people. And my answer to that is, I think it's really important um, as we continue to mature in this life and evolve that we don't always find ourselves squarely in any particular box, right? I think it's important for us to understand that we can have allegiances, partnerships, and alliances while all the while understanding the importance of never losing our individual voices um, while never uh, sacrificing what our most immediate needs are or demands are. And I think that's important for black and brown people to realize. Um, right now, I think it would be great for black people, for brown people, for Native American people, for Asian people to say, you know, I don't really see uh, the Democratic Party meeting all of my needs. And so I'm going to stand up something like the Tea Party to ensure that my needs are not overlooked. And if that means that I can win more seats in the House or the Senate or in a local government or on a state level, I'm going to do that because I'm going to ensure that my needs are met. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you what my needs are. And if you can't meet them, I will. In fact, I know you can't meet them because I haven't seen you do it yet. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm talking about the Democratic Party because I think the Republican Party is completely a lost cause. And I definitely don't see any um, movement there. I also think uh, it's we're at an important time right now because whether we're looking at um, what happened in response to Charlottesville or um, and I, I think that, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, the overall the collective Democratic response has been lackluster. Um, and I think that there's a lot of work to be done. But right now you see a party that's struggling with whether or not to engage in identity politics. And I think that you can't help but to engage in that because it's not just about our politics. It's about talking to people where they are, about who they are and how best to represent them. And as long as they're them to you, you're going to have a problem. The reason why they're them to you is because you don't hire us in the most senior ranks. You don't retain us in vendor positions. You don't utilize us in polls. Um, and so because of that, you're going to be a little tone deaf, particularly if you're just coming out two weeks before elections. I think about my friend Andrew Gillum, who is a black man um, running for uh, governor in Florida. 
and how quiet, right, the Democratic Governors Association had been about his race until he he put up really good numbers. He raised a million dollars in his first quarter, I believe it was. Well, newsflash, black people can win statewide. (laughs) Newsflash, black people can win nationwide. And so can other people of color. And so can women. And so it's important for us to ensure that we have people who believe in our candidates working on these races and working within the party apparatus. Anyway, I substantially digress. It's on it's on point, but I don't need to be on that soapbox. There are some more questions there. Um, I really like this question, too. This is from Robert Griffin Jr. Uh, why so much energy focus and shock towards the 34 percent? Why not build and connect with the majority? Robert, I think you have it absolutely right. Um, It's so important for us to spend time finding the spaces where we can unite, where we can build bridges. But part of that means unpacking some of where we are. Um, Some of it means unpacking, you know, where the white rage really is coming from, um, where our frustrations are coming from, historical inaccuracies that we've been forced to live with for years by we. I'm talking about people of color now. We got a lot of unpacking to do because there's some unresolved frustration, pain, anger, in this country, and we really got to work on that before we can go forward. Um, this sister, L. Key, I think is her name, says, do you plan to have guests on your show that have opposing views as you, um, or if I think she means from you? And I would say, yeah, um, I'm not in a hurry. Like, you guys have to hear opposing voices all the time. And um, in a lot of ways, and I've talked about this before, On One has been healing for me because I've just been able to talk through some of the things that I grapple with. Um, you heard that on today's episode with Wes Um, who's doing amazing work um, on equity and not just equality in Charlottesville, right? And and to me, I would rather spend time shedding light on some of those things than to just, you know, have another empty debate for what, you know? Um, So anyway, I think think that's important as well. Um, Somebody asked, and this question's a little different, uh, but I appreciated it. Someone said, can you talk about, it says, Dark Republican 201, um, can you talk about your time doing Bible study for young people? You mentioned it with your podcast on your podcast with Common. Yes, um, I used to do a Bible study. Uh, the King County Juvenile Detention Center it was a program for youth chaplains, um, and youth chaplains were people in college. So my best friend Leonetta, shout out Leonetta, um, and I spent time um, working with young people in the juvenile detention center, uh, doing a Bible study there um, every week and. I don't know if I got more from it or they did, um, but it's something I miss dearly. Um, I definitely want to go back and serve in that way. Um, I learned so much. And I think the greatest lesson I learned um, is that we were just one decision away from each other. Right. Like there are so many instances where you think about for me, I can think about God's grace on my life, sparing me, sparing my life or sparing me from a really bad decision or sparing me from, you know, a suspension in school. That could have put me on a trajectory that's completely different from the one I'm on now. And um, I'm just grateful that they taught me so much. Um, I think about Sharita. I don't know where Sharita is now, but she used to draw these amazing pictures. Sharita had a new picture for me every week um, or almost every week. And I just yeah, I mean, it was it was a great experience. And I really encourage all of us who can. If it's not the juvenile detention center in your community, if it's not a local elementary school or middle school or a high school if it's not the local community center find some way to get involved um, to serve our young people to serve our elders y'all we have lonely elders sometimes and 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 maybe your service is through a natural disaster like hurricane harvey we cannot afford for our community to feel like it's another katrina 
Um, that was devastating. And this is already a really devastating storm. So let's really figure out a way to lean in um, and be supportive of uh, our brothers and sisters in this country, regardless of what y'all's president is doing. We know that we have the leadership to move this country forward. It rests and resides in all of us. We do not have to cave in to the ugliness that is, you know, showing its ugly head in this country right now. We can continue to resist if we continue to stay red up, if we continue to stay prayed up. And if, as Congresswoman Waters says, we continue to show up until next week, y'all. Resist. Striving to do right, my people are warriors All we know is the fight, praying to see God and everything I call me the yellow shotter I say I'm just my father's daughter Like Christ, my body beating, but I refuse to holler Won't give them the satisfaction, but I let the tears flow Steady praying for a father, forgive them, they don't know That the revolution will not be televised Twitter, Facebook, excuse me as I scrutinize Out of the mouth of this babe comes perfected praise As you feel